Shalom and welcome again to another edition of Secrets of Meaning, the podcast TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. Thank you for joining us. If you want to contact us with ideas or suggestions, please feel free to email me at rabbiaddress at jewishsacredaging.com. You know, in our tradition, words have power. Uh, we're filled with stories in Midrash about the power of words. One of the great wordsmiths that we have operating within our community right now is um, not a stranger to Seekers of Meaning, and we want to welcome back Alden Salovey uh, coming to us from Israel. Um, and we're going to be talking about Alden's brand new book, this brilliant book called These Words, These Words, Poetic Midrash on the Language of Torah. Alden, how are you? Thanks for having me. The beautiful okay. day here in Jerusalem, and you, and and for everybody, you should know that it, you, you're. I mean, we're recording this in the middle of uh, March, and so good luck. You're running a a five k, a ten k mini marathon. Running in the Jerusalem marathon tomorrow. It's such a hoot. You get to run through part of the old city. It, it's historic. It's fun. So that's tomorrow. Oh. So, Alden, this um, fantastic new book published by the CCAR Press, available through the usual outlets, and I'm sure uh, Amazon. This is, um, and it's, uh, this is to my colleagues in adult education chairs who may be listening or watching. Uh, it's really this book really, really can be used in a whole variety of different ways for education purposes, adult education, uh, confirmation classes, interfaith work. Um, it really explores. A variety of different approaches on the poems uh, that you write around themes around words, and you, you, what what drew you? The, I mean, you have this wonderful uh, quote from Midrash Rabbah in the very very beginning in the introduction, which says the sages say that there are uh, seventy faces of Torah. This teaches us that there are myriad ways to interpret Torah, and it is for us to explain them. And then you explain in your own unique way some of the key words and concepts. What drew you to write this book this way? The idea underneath the idea, when I was having a conversation with the, the folks at CCIR Press, was I really wanted to write a, a book of poems tied to each of the partial. So a poem for each Parsha in the uh, Torah cycle. And their reaction was, well, soft. That um, Parsha poems have been written. There are other sources of that. What, what else? They pushed me. What else could you do? And as we talked, I thought, well, language, language of Torah. Let's get into, let's get into the words themselves. And this was at the same time I was taking a biblical Hebrew grammar class. So um, the idea evolved from writing Parsha prayers to writing prayers based on individual words of Torah to creating this book, which is uh, left brain, right brain in a certain kind of a way. On, on the left hand page is a Devar Torah that I wrote about one word of Torah. And on the right hand page is a a prayer poem, really more poetic than prayer, uh, that I wrote as well. And the, the Shivim Panim La Torah, the 70 faces of Torah, 
was a, a, a wonderful way to, to organize thinking about how many words to present and, and create, uh, sections topically and so on. And it's, it's for rabbis and teachers. It's just one of those numbers that many will say, aha, I get it. It's, okay. it's based on this phrase, uh, from, uh, Bamidbar Rabbah. So all the, the, let's start with at the beginning, uh, not only in the Torah, but in the book, because you, you go right to um, a section on God and words for God, and you start right away with Elohim, and you have this lovely line in your Devar Torah about the gematria, the, the numerology of, of Torah interpretation, uh, Elohim totals 86 in gematria, the same as Hateva, the word for nature. So in equating God and nature, uh, the first thing that jumped into my mind as I read this is, uh, how much of Alden's theology is encompassed in these poems? It's a good question. Uh, you know, these poems are meant as midrash, uncommentary. So the, the idea was essentially to take the classic interpretation and classic midrash and in fact, some modern midrash as well, and use that as the jumping off point. So to, to be, uh, to, to present a continuity of midrash, but also to interject my own interpretations, my own worldview within the context of, of the broad range of Jewish theologies. So I don't think I'm inventing anything new theologically. I am inventing ways to view the stories and ways to think about the words and, and, and pathways to deepen our own connection to the Hebrew. Are there words that speak to you theologically more than any other? Theologically, the, the words for God uh, were very important to me. And, and it's surprising the chapter in some ways because I did not focus solely on uh, given names for God. I also put in, um, Anochi, which is a special, uh, structure and a synonym for the word I, Ani. And I put in the word Echad and I put in a word that we don't use in prayer. An, uh, a word that God calls God's self, Ehyeh. Right. Um, so it's not a traditional list of God's names. It's not all the names that, that have the status that you can't erase them once they're uh, written. You know, there are other words that I, I learned a deeper connection with because of doing uh, this particular book. And, and echo, I'm not sure I'd use the word theology, but, you know, something a little more modest, like relationship with God, uh, the, the words, um, uh, bikurim, first fruits, korbanot, sacrifices, turuma, offering, maaser, tithe. Uh, when I first started putting the book together, I, I actually only had on my list korbanot, truma, and Bikurim, and I was only going to use one of them 
to cover this idea of gifts to God. But I actually added in the fourth one, Ma'aser, and I wrote about all of them. Uh, and what's nice about it, as, as for the people who will use this book and look at the book, um, you and the CCR Press very, very nicely at the very end listed all a lot of the word, all the words, these words that that appear in the book, and it's really that's really cool. But I want to come back to something you just alluded to about the words of God because it's fascinating. We didn't rehearse this uh, <laughs> that you said the word that we rarely use, ehiyeh. So um, you have you have the book there. I hope. I yeah. hope. Uh, good. Could, the poem that you wrote on Ehiyeh, which is to me fascinating, from the burning bush and from Exodus three, one of the great great chapters in Torah. Could you walk us through that poem? Could you read that poem because the ending of that poem? You, you have a lot of these poems where the last stanza really is the hook. I I I, I think it it really is powerful. So. If you don't mind, there's a couple of things, as, uh, if you don't mind, of just reading some of the things that you wrote, because it probably sound better from you because it comes out of your soul. Could, could you just read us Ehia and then talk to me about that last paragraph? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to set up one other bit before I read it, if you don't mind. And no, that is... The reason Ehiyah comes where it does in, in the flow of the names of God, there, I start with Elohim and then go to Adonai and then go to El and then we end up at Ehiyah because there are certain things in each of those names that sort of lead us to, to this Ehiyah poem. And in particular, I want to point out what was a surprising insight for me when I was writing the poem for Adonai, is that we're so accustomed to not knowing the actual pronunciation of God's name, the fact that we forgot it is no longer startling to us. This is a profound loss, the loss of actually knowing how to pronounce God's name. Um, and uh, so we, we, in a sense, we, we keep making up names for God. Because right. we, we want that connection that we, we really lost. Um, so I think that, that sets up the Ahiyah poem, uh, in a, in a certain kind of a way. Um, but I'll read it and then, then we could talk a little more about it if you'd like. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Ahiyah. I will be with you when you open your hearts to me. Just as I was before in the ancient days when your mothers and fathers discovered me. How many invitations do you need to holiness and redemption? My love cannot be fully counted by you. Like the stars in the heavens, try as you may. My secrets cannot fully be known by you. Like the whispers in the breeze, try as you may. How many names will you create for me before your heart understands I am that I am that I am that I am? So talk to me a little bit about, you know, that, that, especially that last paragraph, which I think is very, very powerful. Uh, 
And go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So Ehya is, is, uh, phenomenal as a name for God because it encompasses past, present, and future. It is, uh, it has all forms of the verb to be, uh, and, uh, it incorporates existence, uh, what will exist, what will happen, what will become. And it's actually the same root as the Tetragrammaton, uh, Adonai, Yudhe Vavhe, the name for which we forgot, uh, the, the, actual pronunciation. So uh, the name has a such heft, and, and it is this name that, that uh, God tells Moses when the people ask who I am, tell them, asher, I will be who I will be, or I am that I am. Uh, and uh, one of the interpretations is, God will be with us in our liberation and uh, in our uh, in our suffering in our um, time in uh, captivity. That God will be with us uh, no matter what. You know, it, it, it's interesting because you you allude to in the, in the concept ehiyeh. And that we don't know, you know, the proper, the appropriate or proper or real pronunciation of Adonai. And then, uh, and then it, it leads, and you do this in the book to this section where, that you talk about mystery. Uh, and, uh, which I think is, um, it, fascinating. It, it, you wrote, you write a couple of, of poems uh, uh, that I, that really encompass this idea of mystery. Um, one of them is called Evidence of Mysteries. Uh, we say, suppose God plays hide and seek among the stars, leaving evidence of holiness, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it talks about creation. It's a section that deals with the word sheet. But I love, and then at the end of the book, towards the end of the book, um, in this uh, section on mis- literally on mysteries, you have this absolutely <laughs> rock and roll great poem um i mean i think on page 131 that i that i like you to walk us through because you channel leonard cohen um and it really does speak to this concept of mystery you write around the word zohar light and the the whole the mystical concept of light within the tradition could you read us uh, a crack in the heart and just talk about your understanding of what that poem how that poem came to be yeah um so one piece of torah to to introduce the 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 poem and and a bit of um sort of uh inside baseball if you will Uh, Um, i love it uh so uh sohar is a word that only appears once in all of torah a hapax legomenon. That's the, the term for the term of art for a word that only appears once. And, uh, it's hard to know what uh, a word like this means because there's no other use. There's no other reference. The next time we have a hint of what it means, 
the word is chalon or window. What am I talking about? So the tzohar is placed or it's the spot at the top of Noah's Ark. So first it's referred to as a tzohar and then it's referred to as a chalon, a window. But we have a problem if it's a massive storm, if it's just deluge of water, how would a window let in any light at all? So, um, Sohar, I've defined in the book as light source, and there's a very fanciful, very fun midrash that states that the Sohar was an opalescent gem, a gemstone given as a gift to Adam and passed down from the generations, ending up with Noah and Abraham, Joseph and Moses. And this gemstone had one uh, fine slice, one piece from the Or Haginus, the hidden light, the light that God created on the first day of creation and was hidden away for the righteous. There's a sliver of that in the Tsohar, and that was the light source. This was a radiant gem placed in the top of Noah's Ark. So here's my midrash on that midrash, if you will. It's called Go a crack ahead. in the heart. Oh, the inside baseball is when I started writing this, and the and, and your your viewers and, and listeners will get it as soon as I as I read that first line. I was thinking, what the heck am I doing? You know, taking on Leonard Cohn in a poem. I mean, the master the great, you know, poet of our day, really. Um, but uh, it, it, it stands, I think. It does. So it's, called, it's called A Crack in the Heart. Leonard Cohen says, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Yet I wonder if what feels like a crack suddenly in my core, a crack suddenly in my life is how it feels in the moment that God has chosen to place a Tsohar in me to wound my life and open my spirit in order to insert a gem of radiant light into my heart that now shines from inside me, from my soul to yours, outward into eternity. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets out. It's a great poem, um, especially those last two lines. Uh, and especially, I think, for many of the people of uh, our demographic from Jewish sacred aging, you know, who perhaps as we get older struggle to figure out how to, how to continue to let the light of their own soul get out into the world. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, and transition. There's so much transition going on uh, as we get older, uh, emotionally, spiritually, physically, that sometimes people will say, well, you know, how do I, where where did me go? Where did the, the that spark of divinity go? Um, so that's a, thank you for that poem. It's, it's, it's a beautiful poem. And it really encompasses, I think, that the whole concept of mystery. One of the other, well, there, there's many, and we, we don't have the time to do all of these because you wind up reading the entire book. Um, but back to the concept of words 
And so you do a little riff and Devartor on Devari, on the, the word for, you know, words. Um, and on page 47, um, I'm going to ask you to go to that poem too, because it's, um, again, it's a very, very fascinating piece of, of poetry and in many ways, theology. And it does encompass, I think, carry all this idea of mystery, especially, um, especially, I think the last paragraph as well. And uh, there's a, there's a uh, reading in one of the CCAR uh, little manuals on, I think it's uh, one I, I, where healing resides, I think. And it's a meditation we use a lot when we teach on uh, meditations on receiving a diagnosis of dementia. And the last paragraph talks about, I, I'm in a wilderness. I don't, may not know how to look for you, God. Please look for me. And when I read this particular poem, No Words, it immediately struck that linkage, and it does tie in with this mystery. So could you walk us through a little bit about this Midrash and your interpretation of Devarim and the poem No Words? The um, amazing moment uh, of uh, Moses' transformation from a man hesitant to even speak, wanting to reject his calling because he had no words. Uh, the the moment we we see him as the in, in his full glory, if you will, as a prophet, is when we get to the book of Jarim and we hear these three great oratories uh, to the people from Moses. So the the um, the word varim is plural for devar. It could mean speech, discourse, saying, word, report, utterance, even command, as in God's command. Um, it was this notion that Moses, who was a man of no words, became a man of words ultimately. That led me to to write this poem, uh, and and. If I recall correctly, in my own journey of writing this book, it came at a time when I was struggling with the words of this particular book. Mm -hmm. So uh, the poem is called No Words. Today, I have no words for you, God, none. Yesterday, the day before, and the day before that, I had words, so many words, thousands of words to share with you. Perhaps tomorrow there will be more. Today I have no words for you, God. None. Be with me in my breathing, in the quiet that fills the space between us. Be with me. Give me the words I need to hear. Give me the words I need to say. Today I have no words for you, God. Do you have words for me? Thank you. You know, uh, as so many people struggle with uh, trying to understand loss and are rendered in many ways speechless, they have no words. Like, um, you know, remember Aaron, upon hearing the, the news of the death of his sons, was silent. This poem, I think, can speak um, to people in who are attempting to deal with loss, who have no words. And, and we use that phrase. We use that phrase. There are no words. 
Uh, and in that, in that moment, in that time, there's really a searching, uh, for that I think this is why I wanted to focus in on that poem because I think it speaks to those moments in a, in, in very powerful, simple, uh, language. So thank you for that. So thank you for that. Um, there's a couple of other things before we start running out of time that I, that I wanted to just pick your brain on. One of them has to do with, I think, um, something that's extremely relevant, uh, at least in uh, our contemporary world, where so many people in power seem to be focusing on creating um, the other and focusing on saying there are other, there are other people, there's those people. Uh, as opposed who who may be the reason for a b c and d this is a classic theme in in history uh as 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 you know and so you have a section uh you have a poem on the word gare um stranger that you do your devar tour on and then you have this lovely poem called estranged uh it's on page 77 uh of of the book uh alden could you if you can walk me through a little bit about uh, some of your feelings about this word and this poem, because I think it speaks to a lot of people in a variety of different ways. The uh, Torah tells us that um, strangers are, are powerless. They are, they, and as a result, we are not allowed to, oppress them. No less than 36 times the Torah tells us not to oppress the stranger, but Torah goes even further. Strangers are given equal protection under the law. That That's Leviticus 19.34. Um, to be a stranger is, is, a, is a common modern experience, whether it's the immigrant or the disenfranchised or someone who suffers some kind of uh, life-changing event, to feel other uh, is is a common experience. And to be othered by someone else, as you mentioned, has become part of the way political discourse takes place, unfortunately. Um, Ibn Ezra uh, notes the relationship between the word ger and gargir, which is bury. And he says that a stranger who is resident in another land is like a berry that's plucked from its branch. And Rabbeinu Bachia embellishes the idea saying that a stranger is actually an isolated berry at the far end of a solitary branch. And, and this, this truly defines this experience both of being, uh, made a stranger by circumstances, a stranger to myself, a stranger to others, a stranger to my circumstances, as well as the experience of being othered by society, being made into a stranger uh, politically, socially. And uh, uh, so that, that drove the thinking about this particular poem. And what does it take to, to repatriate, if you will, uh, and, and Abraham, you know, bought, you know, the cave of the Machpelah in Hebron so that at least in, 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 at the end of days, the family, the end of their lives, the family could feel somehow resident by having a 
a place uh, in death to be to be buried. So that drove the this poem estranged. There are always strangers among us, some so obvious, some so hidden, estranged inside their hearts by the circumstances of life, by strange workings of the mind and unusual workings of the body, estranged inside the gates, living perilously like a berry at the end of the branch, resident but alien, never fully embraced. Once, my father's father's grandfather, in ancient days, bought a cave in a field near Hebron, so at least our family could become fully resident in death. Yes, it's a great, it's a great image. And, and very relevant, I mean, not only politically, but you know, so many families, um, at least in this country, North America, the people are scattered all over the country. Uh, children don't live next to their parents, etc. And in many ways, the the place that they're eventually united is in death, with a family plot or something. And, and even that's changing right now. But this idea of the the, the again the language is it, it, you could read this as a very personal thing of people who may be estranged spiritually from their own self. Yes. Um. So that's what I'm saying. To the people who will use this book in an adult education or in a, in a congregational book club, which I think would be really fantastic, um, the subtleties of so many of these poems, um, very, very, very powerful. And again, we're, we're speaking with Alden Solovey, the author of this brand new book published by the CCAR Press. The book is called These Words, Poetic Midrash on the Language of Torah. Um, Here's part of our uh, Secrets of Meaning podcast and TV from Jewish Sacred Aging. And again, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to contact us, just email me at rabbi address at jewishsacredaging.com. Uh, if you'd like to become a sponsor of these podcasts, uh, just let me know and we'll follow up from there. And if you'd like to can help us continue the work of these podcasts, please go to the website, jewishsacredaging.com, and just scroll down to the conveniently located uh, donate button just follow the prompts and we do appreciate your support very 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 much before we start running out of time alden i want to go to a poem that i uh i i could see this being part of services uh, readings demonstrations um it's a section that you uh, riff on and devar torah on pesel the idea of idol uh, the poem is on 141, for those of you who do have the book and, and perhaps are following along. Um, I will tell you, I read this poem a couple of times, and each time I read it, the, it, it just says, you know, this is right out of the headlines uh, in a variety of different places, both in your country and, and the United States and other, and other places as well. It's very, very relevant and frighteningly real. Walk me through this uh, Devar Torah on the Hebrew word Pesel Idol and the poem, if you can read it, please. Yes, thank you. Yes, the, the, the Torah, it makes it clear in no uncertain terms that idolatry is not our way. Uh, and, and the most explicit place that uh, admonishment takes place 
is in Deuteronomy 27.15 during the curses that are listed. Cursed be anyone who makes a sculptured or molten image abhorred by the eternal, a craftsman's handiwork. Uh, Pastel is one of uh, 10 uh, synonyms for idol that we have, according to Mechilta de Rabbi Ishmael and the Sifra and Avot de Rabbi Natan, although those three works don't exactly use the same 10, they come up, they say they're 10 words for idol, which is to say, uh, recognizing idolatry is important. Recognizing what we aren't is important in all its many shades. shades. Uh, 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 Pesel means to hew, to carve, uh, and was probably originally meant to cut away. The resulting chips, pesolet, um, becoming the, the phrase worthless matter. Uh, so this is um, a poem based on this word, uh, Pesel, and it's called The Idol Maker. The idol maker is crafty, beckoning us to worship at the feet of human innovation. This God is for love. This God is for wealth. This God is for beauty. This God is for sweet dreams. The idol maker lives next door, inviting us in with the smell of fresh bread and intoxication to lull us to sleep and forget our God. Come carve with me, the idol maker says. We will make our gods together. Beware, for the idol maker who yearns for rock and silver will use your soul as a chiseling stone to form lifeless objects, to divide you from yourself, to keep you from reaching the Holy One, the Shekinah, the Ensof, the Divine One, God's self, your creator, and salvation. Yeah, as I said, this poem is like right out of the headlines. <laughs> so, um, not only history, but right out of what we're living through today. There, it, it also reflects a, a, a prayer, a meditation in one of the old reform prayer books, um, the, the Blue, um, on page, I think, 240, where it basically warns people, be careful what you worship because you become what you worship. Mm -hmm. And right. as I was reading this poem, that I, I immediately flashed back um, on that prayer that we used to use uh, before the current prayer book and reform synagogues. Um, Alden, before we, run, before we go, the website, your website, in case people want to contact you, and, and I know you sometimes come to the United States, you do scholar-in-residence work in person, I think also electronically. Uh, I know for a fact, because you went to my old congregation, uh, that it is a very powerful series of presentations. If somebody wanted to uh, find out more, what's the website that they need to contact you or get in touch with you? My website is www.tobendlight.com. T-O-B-E-N-D-L-I-G-H-T dot com. I'm going to launch shortly at AldenSolovey dot com that ah. may be up uh, in the next few weeks. Uh, but uh, if AldenSolovey dot com doesn't work, uh, TubendLight dot com certainly will. 
And one could also always reach out to CCAR Press. They're more than happy to connect me with people. Alden Solovey, these words, poetic midrash on the language of Torah. Again, uh, thank you very, very much, Alden. This has been great. I wish you much success um, on the book. Stay healthy. I hope your Passover was great. And um, hopefully we'll be able to bump into each other in one of the trips. If you get around Philadelphia again, let me know. But thank you very much and uh, take care. Take care. Stay safe. Stay well. Stay healthy. Toda. Thanks for having me. To all of you, thank you again for uh, your participating and joining us on today's Seekers of Meaning, the podcast arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. Again, if you'd like to contact us with ideas and suggestions, rabbi address at jewishsacredaging.com. We'd really appreciate if you go to the Jewish Sacred Aging Facebook page and like us. And uh, we post articles um, all the time there that also appear on the website. And again, uh, if you go to the website and you'd like to help us out, go to the donate section on the website. We'd really appreciate it. Thank you very, very much for joining us. And again, a big thank you to Alden. Seekers of Meaning, a reminder, is produced at the Broadcast Center of Lubetkin Media Companies in wonderful Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And a big shout out to our producer, as usual, Steve Lubetkin. Thank you again for joining us. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. I look forward to seeing you on the next Seekers of Meaning podcast or TV. And in the meantime, until we see each other again, stay safe, everybody. Stay healthy. And most of all, be kind to one another. Tada Shalom.